Welcome in What's Right with Nick Wright, episode 151, and I am solo today. DeMonze's in LA, he was going to tap in for the show, but he got called into the Fox lot to do what he claims is cutting tape. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but so he couldn't do it. Diora is flying back. We were all in California together this weekend as a family for Diora's great-grandmother's 90th birthday and for Mother's Day. So I am solo today, but that is just fine because we have so much to get to that we will get to starting right now. Here is what has missed the cut for today's show. Not on today's show is Brady and the Raiders talking ownership. Not on today's show is Matt Ryan seemingly not retiring, but also joining CBS. And not on today's show is the fact that Bryce Young is very, very short. I I don't think that's breaking news, and it is a massive concern. Yeah, you can't see Bryce Young if you're watching on YouTube, but we promise he's out there. Oh, they actually edited him. Okay, that's unfair. I thought he was just being obscured by the offensive linemen, but instead they just made him much smaller than he actually is. What we will discuss on today's show is all things NBA playoffs. And the entirety of the A block is going to be Lakers, Warriors, LeBron, and Steph. We will get to Ja, we will get to the Sixers Celtics, we will get to Celtics Heat and Lakers Nuggets. But to start today's show, we are going to do Lakers, Warriors, and LeBron Steph. And it is not just because... 8 million people watched every game, 7.5 to 8 million, I should say, and it was the highest-rated second-round series on record. It is not just because it was my pick that kind of went against the grain, and I was taunted that, oh, what are you going to do when the Warriors make you look like an idiot again? It The reason we are going to give this series the attention it deserves is because... Going into the series, my colleagues in sports media decided this was going to be a referendum on LeBron James versus Steph Curry. How can a guy be the GOAT if he couldn't beat someone in his own era? What will it say if Steph gets to 4-1? and one? in playoff series against LeBron James. Is Steph actually the player of this post-Michael Jordan era, not LeBron James? That That is not a straw man. That is not, a, that is not fake news. Those are the conversations people were demanding we have and then LeBron wins on a Friday night, and by Monday, it's all look ahead. Oh, Lakers Nuggets. Oh, the Sixers melted down again. Oh, Tatum's 51. Keep it moving, keep it moving. Clay stunk. What's Draymond's future? Can AD handle Joker? And I'm just sitting there listening to every podcast there is, consuming as much sports TV and media as I could, saying, hey, we going to do a final tally here? Are we going to discuss that this is now five times LeBron James and Steph Curry have met in the postseason? And five times LeBron has outplayed him. Oh, Nick, that's unfair. Is it? Let's go through them. 2015, Steph Curry... I disagreed with the folks who voted on the award, but 2015 NBA Finals MVP voters said Steph wasn't even the most valuable guy on his own squad. That was Kevin, that was Andre Iguodala and his 16, 6, and 4. So why did a guy who averaged 16, 6, and 4 win a Finals MVP over a teammate? who averaged 26, 5, and 6. Oh, because Iguodala's real heroics were holding LeBron James to 36, 13, and 9. Holding him 
to 36, 13, and 9. So 2015 it was no, it was no question who outplayed who. 2016, we know the story. Steph calls game seven the biggest game of his life, and then after the game calls it one of the worst games of his life. LeBron goes for 30, 11, and 9 in the series, and Steph goes for 22, 5, and 4. 2017, Steph was really good. 27, 8, and 9. LeBron, 34, 12, and 10 on 56% from the field in the finals. 2018, LeBron has arguably the single greatest game of his career in game one for the series, gives you 34, 9, and 10 on 53%. Steph, 28, 6, and 7. And then this series, Steph Curry was... Quite good. Was he great? No. More on that in a moment. Steph in this series gave you 27, 5.5, and 7.5. LeBron gave you 25, 9, and 5.5. The key notes here on why to me it is crystal clear that for the fifth consecutive series when they played each other, LeBron outplayed him is not only the shooting percentages, where LeBron's 49%, Steph's 44%, the three-point percentages, where LeBron was 33.3 and Steph was 34.3, but the series flipped by hunting Steph Curry and to a lesser extent when he was out there, Jordan Poole, in the pick and roll, and the critical game, the... Fork in the road game of the series, game four, involved Steph missing back-to-back go-ahead shots and then, at the end of it, throwing the ball backwards over the top of his head out of bounds. And anyone who is being honest would tell you that if the Lakers had lost the series and the numbers were identical and the reason they lost was because old man LeBron was hunted defensively and in the critical game missed back-to-back clutch shots and then had an egregious turnover, no one would be arguing. Oh yeah, LeBron played him to a draw. LeBron outplayed him. Nobody. But that's not where the revisionist history of something we just saw ended. I then, from folks who picked the Warriors to win the series, some picked them to win the title. Now all of a sudden, oh, well, I mean, come on. It's like LeBron in 2018. Yeah, they lost, but you can't hold it against Steph. That team was no good. R- really? I mean, I actually agree the team w- is not very good, but no one agreed with me. I was a hater. I was a troll. I had champ- I wasn't respecting the heart of a champion. Ah, uh, well, Nick, LeBron's now got AD. It's like when Steph had Kevin Durant. Yes, if all Steph had was Kevin Durant. And while I like Austin Reeves a lot, and I think the other Lakers role players have been quite good, please do not insult my intelligence by saying, after Steph and LeBron, a next three of Anthony Davis, who's unbelievable, Austin Reeves, and Lonnie Walker is in the same stratosphere of a next three of apex pre-injury Kevin Durant, apex pre-injury Klay Thompson, and apex Draymond Green. Give me a break. These are not the same. They're not. And it's not a an indictment 
on Steph Curry. Steph is one of the 12 greatest players ever, maybe one of the 10 greatest players ever. But think about what that means. Because the entirety of Steph's case, all of his MVP votes, all of his finals appearances, all of his first team All-NBAs, all of them, have come from 2015 to now. This nine-season stretch. That coincides with when LeBron went back to Cleveland. So if after Miami, LeBron had pulled an MJ and called it a career. I've got four MVPs. I've got two rings. I've got two finals MVPs. I'm done. Four MVPs, two rings, four finals appearances. I think nine first-team All-NBAs. That would have been LeBron. Maybe eight first-team All-NBAs. That would have been LeBron's career from his rookie year through the end of Miami. That would put him as one of the 12 greatest players ever. Put him neck and neck with Akeem, Bird, those guys. Right? So follow me along here. LeBron, his career before Steph even gets going, is a top 12 guy at a minimum. At a minimum. Steph then has a decade of a career starting after the Heatles era that he accomplishes enough to become a top 12 guy. And at the end of that, Steph and LeBron meet in the playoffs again and LeBron outplays him. Think about it. What we're and we we take for granted and we we become somewhat a nerd to what we're seeing. Mark Jackson, beginning of game fourth quarter game six, says just somewhat flippantly, if I'm LeBron. I'm not coming out in this fourth quarter. Up to that point, LeBron had spent one minute on the bench. He had played 35 of 36 minutes. And Mark Jackson is saying just casually that the expectation, therefore, is LeBron's going to have to play 47 of 48 minutes in this game. Now, he ended up playing 43 of 44 And then they took everyone out in the final four minutes because it was a blowout. But he was going to do it. Uh, But Nick, I'm a LeBron guy, but we all know, you know, he's not vintage LeBron. Agreed. But let's talk about what that means, too. So LeBron James this postseason is averaging for the postseason. I'll give you the exact numbers. 23, 10, and 5 on 49%. 23, 10, and 5 on 49%. It's his worst career playoff numbers. What is that comparable to? The So again, it's 23, 10, 5, 49%. Larry Bird's, Larry Bird, one of the 10 greatest players ever, a guy who also didn't have a super long career and doesn't have long playoff runs like Kareem did into his much later years that dragged down the averages. Larry Bird, career playoff averages. Remember, LeBron is 23-10-5 on 49% in what's his worst postseason ever. Bird's career, 23-10-6 on 47%. So the worst we've ever seen LeBron 
is damn near identical to median Larry Bird. I'll put it to you another way. The narrative that I somewhat agreed with after round one, Steph Curry's 35, and this is the best he's ever been. Might be true. Might be the best he's ever been. So think about that. We all agree this is the worst LeBron's been basically ever in the playoffs. So that's 18 years. So we have the worst. LeBron has come all the way down from the heights of, you know, either the best or second best player ever, all the way down to the worst he's ever been. Steph keeps raising, 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 and he's now the best he's ever been. And LeBron was just better than him. The best Steph we've ever seen, the worst LeBron we've ever seen, and the series came down to LeBron James with the ball in his hand, hunting Steph Curry, saying, get him in this switch, get him in this matchup. And then in game six, LeBron scores 30 points on 14 shots, playing an essentially perfect closeout basketball game. Which should not surprise anybody because, and this is what is baffling to me, that seemingly nobody else, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few of my colleagues have picked up on that while every other star that we, you know, of the last 20-some years, except for maybe Shaq, treats at the very least each series and very often each game in the playoffs as a singular enclosed event. LeBron correctly treats the postseason as a marathon a 26-mile race, and there is no use whatsoever to being the leader after 6 miles or 10 miles or 14 miles if it means by mile 23 or 24, you're out of gas. You don't have anything left. And his ability to pace himself and find the moments so he is, and this is what he is better at, this is undeniable, better at than any player in league history, to make sure he is playing in the final game of the season and still has stuff left in the tank. It is not happenstance. It is not because of just the raw athleticism. It's not just because of the hyperbaric chamber. It's because he is mapping out these two months. The moment the postseason begins. And these are other great players in the league who have not figured this out. Kevin Durant unbelievably efficient in round one played really well in round two but could not pace himself and by the latter half of round two fell off a cliff as did his teammate Devin Booker Joel Embiid game seven didn't have it Steph game six his legs were gone we now, the, all of those guys that I just mentioned had, over the first month of the playoffs, each of them, three, four, in Booker's case, probably eight singular playoff games that were more impressive than anything LeBron had done prior to game six. But that's not the goal. Now, 
if you are Jalen Brunson, then and your team really can't win the title, then maxing out in round two makes sense. But if you are on a team, you know the one guy who I think gets this oddly better than almost any other star? And then, by the way, let me also add this. There's Jokic, who, and we'll see, we'll see how the conference finals work out for him, but Jokic appears to just be at an able to be at an A to A-plus level every game and not slow down. Now, we'll see, but thus far, he's he's been doing that. But the one other guy who understands, a la LeBron, I am trying to be in this for the long haul, and I can't be great 20 times, so let me pick my spots, is Jimmy Butler. And you would, you've seen it the year they went to the finals. Jimmy Butler, round two against Milwaukee, huge spot, goes for 40, throttles down a bit in game two, Game three, a chance to take control of the series, goes for 30, then throttles down entirely. Get to the finals, down 0-2, a 40-11-13, doesn't have it the next night. Game five, an elimination game, 35-12-11, and 11. and at that point he was out of gas, didn't have it in game six. Same thing last year for Jimmy in the conference finals. Now, he was banged up. But in those conference finals, they're in Boston for games three and four. He has 14 points combined. He has 13 points in game five. Game six of 47, nine, and eight. Game seven of 35 and nine, playing all 48 minutes. He knew he had to bring it every single game this year against Milwaukee and then throttled back against the Knicks because he knows he's going to have to have it every single night against Boston. There's a strategy to this. And you would think the fact that from 2011 to now, LeBron's seasons have ended with Playing in the last game, 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 injured with the Lakers, playing in the last game, injured, injured, playing. Well, we'll see if he's playing in the last game. I. You would think folks would realize there's levels to this. And on that note, I do worry that there is... Anybody that watches this show or is a fan of this, the stuff I've done, knows one of my favorite kind of thought exercise things is unintended consequences. This happens then... So I... One quick non-sports tangent... One of the most fascinating articles I've ever read was, gosh, probably a decade ago. And it talked about self-driving cars. And self-driving cars, the ripple effect of that is felt across basically every industry in America for good and for bad. About... If they're self-driving cars, then people don't own cars anymore because you they're just going to be driving around. You're just going to hop in. It's going to be essentially like auto Uber everywhere. People won't spend money on it. So people will have an extra $30,000, $40,000. More small businesses will start. There will be that. That'll be good. The bad will be the biggest employer in the country is truck driving. Those jobs will be gone. Mechanics, that's a, all of the ripple effects... And the article, again, I gave you the four-cent version of a $50 article. I'm fascinated by that. So 
there is a really unfortunate, unintended consequence of the fact that we have witnessed in real time over the last 15 years the greatest team sport athlete in American history with the possible exception to Tom Brady and so much of the people watching it and covering it have been dedicated to trying to pick at it or tear it away and the unintended consequence is now everybody sucks what do I mean well we not only got spoiled to the eight straight finals appearances nine out of ten years consistent excellence one bad playoff game a season and because if the narrative while that was happening was this guy is either clearly either the greatest or the second greatest player ever we it is impossible what he's doing then we wouldn't hold anyone else to that standard but because a loud portion of the narrative was overrated Ray Allen saved his legacy Kyrie saved his legacy Mickey Mouse ring not as good as Kobe scared all this stuff then either consciously or subconsciously if what LeBron did wasn't jaw-dropping impressive then who's any good we now look at and I'm guilty of this to a degree as well Giannis wins a title goes out in round two but is great and then a really disappointing round one man maybe not as good as we thought Durant by our eyes, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Man, long time since he's been to a finals, even though he's been to four in his career. You know, what's his legacy about anyways? Forget guys like Harden and Embiid, who actually have legitimate, Harden much more so, but postseason failures. Nobody, nobody will hold up even Steph Steph yeah he's unbelievable but missed the playoffs two years in a row this year out in round two I mean he's great but nobody is going to look good under the light of those standards because there was an impossible precedent set of what it this what LeBron has done is not what the best player in the league is supposed to be able to do. It's only what the best player ever is supposed to be able to do. But because not only do most people not think he's the best player ever, many people don't want to at, at various points during this have tried to argue he's not even the best player in the league. If that's the standard, if if LeBron, when he was doing this, wasn't as good as Durant or wasn't as good as Steph or at the beginning of it wasn't as good as Kobe, then it's a fair standard. You want to be the best player in the league, you got to do X, Y, and Z. But it's always been an impossible standard. And now everybody's going to fall victim to it. Everybody. Luka, you are... The second all-time highest leading playoff score points per game, you drag a team to the conference finals. You have a down year. I guess you're not that good. I guess we've overrated you. But much Dame missed the playoffs multiple years in a row. Volume score. What else are you? Devin Booker, I just watched you. Score 36 a night for three weeks of the playoffs. But you're out in round two in back-to-back years after making the finals. Yeah, but who cares? How good are you? Chris Paul, all-time legend, we thought. But one finals appearance. These are some of the greatest players ever. But we're going to end up disrespecting all of them. 
as the unintended consequence of how we've discussed LeBron. All right, now to the Warriors quickly. We didn't talk about this on TV, but I will acknowledge, I think the Draymond moment in the handshake line was something in this regard. So if people didn't see it, after the game, the first, people to, the first person to greet LeBron is Draymond. And it is a joyous embrace. And those guys are close friends and business partners, and they're both clutch guys. Got it. But you then saw that, and then the camera smartly cut to a disconsolate Steph Curry. Just beside himself. And it was, in my opinion, somewhat telling. In this regard, Draymond at this point in his career, to be great has to kind of go outside the bounds of the rules. I didn't like it. I thought it was wildly dirty. But stomping on Sabonis' chest worked in round one and probably for them was worth the one-game suspension. Draymond was not going to be able to do that type of stuff to LeBron. LeBron's seen it too many times, and it just wasn't going to work. But he might have been able to do some of it to Anthony Davis. But because they're friends and both clutch guys, it felt like Draymond in this series tried to play it straight. And at this point in his career, he's not good enough to have the type of impact they need him to have if he's playing it straight. So, I did think that was noteworthy. As far as what the Warriors do from here, all the reporting seems to be they're going to bring back Draymond and Clay. Here's the issue with that, and Zach Lowe pointed this out, and he's correct. I, I don't want to misquote Zach. Zach made kind of a, a tangential point off this that got me thinking about this. So, I'm giving Zach credit, but I don't want to, mis I don't want to misrepresent what he said. Zach pointed out, that they want to bring back Clay and Draymond, but they're going to need to do it at significantly lower numbers. Clay has one guaranteed year left on his deal, so it would be as far as an extension goes. Draymond can opt out and get a new deal. There's two issues with that. The first one is you cannot credibly ask either one of those guys to take less money than Jordan Poole makes. Jordan Poole makes $32 million a year. Neither one of those guys can you ask them to take less money than him unless he's not on the team. But trading Jordan Poole is not going to be easy because that right there might be the worst contract in the league. He is an unplayable playoff guy at the moment because here's the thing about the NBA playoffs. In the regular season... Offense is drastically more important than defense. And in the playoffs, offense is still more important than defense. With this caveat, you can get away with playing an offensive zero in the playoffs if they do everything else great. You can the Sixers were kind of doing it with P.J. Tucker. We've seen teams do it in the past. Guys who will just stand in the corner, stay out. And I know Tucker can hit corner threes, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Guys that are either rebounders, great defenders. You can get away with playing those guys in the postseason. Not huge minutes, but you can get away with playing them. You cannot get away with playing defensive zeros. Because the other team in the playoffs will scrap, if they're smart, everything they do, force that guy into the action every single time, and get a good look every single time. It's why Jordan Poole was a foul machine and unplayable in this series. So, who wants 
a 30-plus million dollar a year playoff liability that his teammates don't seem to love. But you have to trade him if you're going to try and get Clay and Draymond to take less money. Here's the other hang up on getting Clay and Draymond to take less money. And this is the point Zach made. It doesn't actually allow the war. It's not like you can go to Clay and Draymond and be like, take less money so we can add X, Y, and Z. That's not the case at all. The Warriors are capped out with no matter what. If they have Steph, Wiggins, Clay, Draymond at any amount of money, they're capped out. So the only advantage to them taking less money is it saves Joe Lacob money against the tax. And yes, the Warriors could, you know, be kicked to the end of the draft seven years from now and things like that in the new CBA, but none of that affects Clay and Draymond. So it is just a discussion of we want you, the multimillionaire, to take less money because it will save the billionaire millions. That takes some real finessing. So we'll see. But it's not as easy as it sounds. And credit to Steph for being brilliant enough to get them a title they really had no business winning last year. But this is the end of the road for them. It's an unbelievable run. It's nine years. It's six finals. It's four rings. But... They had, t they, they had a chance to extend this. They had, the num they had the number two pick, the number seven pick, and whatever Moody was, the number 14 pick, I think. And they appear to have whiffed. They definitely whiffed on Wiseman. Kaminga was DNP coach's decision all postseason. And Moody is, was the youngest player in the draft when he was taken, I think. And while he was out there in some moments, he's not ready yet. And Steph, as great as he is, is 35. So I fear, and by fear I mean it does kind of delight me, light years season and the Warriors window is closed. It's an unbelievable run. But it also does mean to circle this back to LeBron. For what it's worth. When LeBron came into the league in the East, the Detroit Pistons were the team. I think they went to, was it five straight or six straight Eastern Conference Finals? I want to make sure I have it right. It started in 03. They went to eight, or I'm sorry, six straight Conference Finals. They won a championship. The very next year, they were in Game 7 of the Finals. LeBron ended that run with the 48 Special. In reaction to the 48 Special, the Celtics created the first modern super team in the East. They're, well, yeah, of the 20th century. Of the, sorry, 21st century. Lakers tried with Malone and Gary Payton. Didn't work. But in reaction to what LeBron did, the Celtics created KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. They had an unbelievable run and knocked out LeBron a few times. LeBron then ended the Celtics' big three in Boston. The death knell was the 45-15-5, down 3-2, game six of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals. That was that. They had beat him the previous year, beat him again. That was that. He then, there is a budding dynasty in Golden State. They win a title. They then win 73 games, execute a 3-1 comeback, have the unanimous MVP. LeBron so rocks them with the greatest three-game stretch in the history of the league. And I know I say that a lot, just kind of nonchalantly. That is undeniable. Down 3-1 to a 73-win team, he went 
41, 16, 7, 3, and 3. Follow that up with 41, 8, 11, 4, and 3. And follow that up with 27, 11, 11, 2, and 3. And the greatest defensive play in the history of the league. He so shook them with that. That Draymond's crying in his car and they go get Kevin Durant. That team's essentially unbeatable. And then Durant leaves, and it's like, oh, they win another title? Oh, my God. They're going to go on another run. And LeBron ended that one, too. And in the midst of it, in the in-between, LeBron peeled a title himself with the Lakers. So the Pistons era ended by young LeBron. The Celtics era ended by prime LeBron. The Golden State pre-KD era ended by older LeBron. And the Golden State post-KD era ended by old man LeBron. Never seen anything like it. Never in the past, never will again. That's 40 solid. So you guys might wonder, what would this podcast sound like if DeMonze or Dior weren't a part of it? Well, that was 40 uninterrupted, brilliant minutes on this series with a little NBA history mixed in. Quick break. Talk the rest of the NBA playoffs next. What's right? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp because your mental well-being matters. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of that. Unlock the power of therapy with BetterHelp and witness the transformative benefits it brings to your life. From gaining valuable insights into your thought patterns to building resilience in the face of challenges. Therapy empowers you to navigate life's twists with confidence. BetterHelp offers a convenient online platform designed to be flexible, fitting seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at no extra cost. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com right to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot right. Your mental health journey begins here. All right, welcome back in. What's right with Nick Wright? Some breaking news from literally just a couple minutes ago. Not shocking. Doc Rivers fired. So, Budenholzer fired Monty Williams fired. Doc Rivers fired. Man, me and NBA head coach, not great job security. Great money, not great job security. This likely comes as a shock to no one. And man, this is one of, my favorite things about sports, not Doc being fired, but also one of the craziest things about sports. Midway through the f- fourth quarter of game six, Jason Tatum was one for 14. The Celtics were trailing, and Philly was poised to be a massive favorite in round three against Miami, have home court advantage against whomever comes out of the West, Denver or the Lakers, make their first conference final since Iverson in 01, Embiid validate the MVP, Harden, really shed some of the playoff choker stuff because he was so great in games one and four. All of that, if the Sixers could close game six, 
They had three possessions up to midway through the fourth before Tatum made a, had made a single three to get hot. They blew those possessions. And by the way, if Philly wins that, it's not just what it means for Philly. It's also Boston probably has a really... The news today is probably Missoula's been fired. And there's a lot of Jalen Brown speculation. Instead, and a lot of conversation about Tatum, who had been bad in the first quarter of game four, five, first three quarters of game six. A lot of talk. Instead, Tatum makes a, a few huge shots. Philly can get nothing going. They lose. They then have an all-time meltdown in the third quarter of Game 7. Tatum breaks Steph's Game 7 record. We went 76 years of the NBA with nobody scoring 50 in a Game 7. It's happened twice in 14 days. Steph's record stood for two weeks. And now Doc's fired. Harden has a 3-for-11 total afraid embarrassing no-show. Embiid not only doesn't validate the MVP, but goes in the other direction. Has the worst playoff game of his life in Game 7, particularly when you include the fact that they hunted him defensively. And now Doc's fired, and who the hell knows? And Boston is a massive favorite to go to their second straight finals. Man. Those margins, man. So, I happen to like Miami in this series. I think Jimmy in this series is more reliable than Tatum. And you can't even be like, well, yeah, maybe he's more reliable, but Tatum's peaks. I mean, Jimmy had 56 in a playoff game a few weeks ago. Jimmy's peaks are as high as anybody's. This postseason, to me, he's more consistent than Tatum is. And he's had some time to get that ankle right. But the real reason I like Miami in this series is because the Spolstra-Missoula mismatch, that might be Coach 1 versus Coach 30. I mean, that is as big of a coaching mismatch as you will ever see in a conference finals. So I like Miami. The other news since the last time we talked, predictably, is Phoenix ran out of gas and the Nuggets ran roughshod all over them. So, Monty's gone. Everybody likes Monty. I get why you'd fire him. I didn't realize this until after the fact. A lot of reporting after the fact was like, oh, yeah, we all knew this was coming. I didn't know it was coming, but I guess I'm not as plugged in. Uh, that Ishbia wanted to get his own guy, so be it. The, uh, the noteworthy stuff from that Phoenix series, and we'll get to the Denver side in a moment, is you can't play these guys 44 minutes a game and think they're going to stay super efficient. You just can't. I was... Wilds and Brew kept laughing at me in round one when Phoenix kept winning games and I kept saying I'm less confident in them, I'm less confident in them. They were a five-man team at best that then Chris Paul got hurt predictably. Ayton was a no-show and then literally couldn't play, which is not shocking. And Durant and Booker's efficiency falls off the map. And they just weren't built for it. They need to tr find a way, see if they can move Chris for rotational pieces because they need more playoff bodies. But the real story in Phoenix is just a totally bizarre five years of Kevin Durant's career. Kevin Durant went 
to three straight finals in Golden State. And in 2019, he has a calf injury in round two against the Rockets, misses the entire conference finals, comes back probably early against the Raptors in the finals, and tragically pops his Achilles. He played 11 minutes in that game. That is June of 2019. Those are the only 11 minutes of playoff basketball post-round two we have seen from Kevin Durant in the last five years. That's incomprehensible. 2020, he's out all year because of the Achilles. 2021, Kyrie gets hurt, Harden's hurt, Harden's them back. They have the duel with Giannis, they lose. 2022, swept in round one. 2023, he forces the trade to Phoenix. They're out in round two in what was not a particularly close six-game series. And he turns 35 before next season starts. And it is just a bizarre end of his prime. Because when he's been out there, he's been so good. Now, he wasn't great this postseason, but he was good and nothing to show for it. Absolutely nothing to show for it. So I don't. I think Phoenix is in really rough shape. Really rough shape moving forward. And I really didn't like Devin Booker skipping out on all the media stuff. I think if you're the best player on a team or the co-best player in the face of the franchise, so much worse than Dylan Brooks. Devin Booker didn't do post-game availability after game six after the second straight year at home in a closeout game. They're down 30 at halftime. It's mortifying. And then he skips the exit interview. Guy's been in the league too long to do that, in my opinion. So I think Phoenix has some really rough choices ahead. They obviously have to trade Aiton. That's another... I mean, I, I threw this out there on the TV show. There seems to be more momentum towards it now. Aiton for Poole, with a few other things kicked in if you're the Warriors, is an interesting idea, but that's probably not what Phoenix needs. And then there's the Jaw situation, and I have I could do 20 minutes on this, but so much of it is what we discussed the first time. So here's here's all I'm going to say about the Jaw situation. The point is not whether or not he broke any laws. Talked about it for. Again, and people got mad at me uh, because I guess I accurately understand history. But obviously, there is a different and hypocritical reaction from the media and the general population when it's black guys playing with guns than white guys playing toy soldier. We know that. And all the proof, anyone that's arguing that I'm wrong about that, go look up the Mulford Act where you had the NRA and Ronald Reagan uniting to pass gun control measures. Again, Ronald Reagan is the governor of California. The NRA came together to pass gun control legislation. Why? Because the Black Panthers were marching around with guns, and it freaked people out. So, of course, there is a level of me that, from a righteousness perspective, says, job broke no laws, we are insane in this country about guns, which is why what he did in that car is not breaking any laws. So, what's the problem? But the logical part of me, and the logical part of everyone, knows what the problem is. There are a lot of things you can do that don't break a law, but that will get you in trouble with your employer, the NBA. If Ja posted on Instagram a homemade sex tape three months ago and the Grizzlies suspended him, 
and Adam Silver talked to him. He's like, I'll never do it again. I learned my lesson. And then a week after being eliminated from the playoffs, posted another sex tape. Guess what? He'd be in a lot of trouble. Not illegal. Breaking no laws can still get in trouble. If Ja tweeted, Jaron Jackson Jr. is the league's most overrated defender, can't believe he won Defensive Player of the Year. Well, what about his First Amendment rights? Yes, broke no laws, would be in trouble. John Morant and his buddies, clear, there are now. The incident where he fought the 17-year-old and the 17-year-old's father says he had a pistol in his waistband. The incident at the mall with his mom and the security guard where the security guard says Ja threatened him. The incident at the volleyball game with his mom and the student where the student said they threatened him. The Shotgun Willie's video, this video, and most importantly, the Pacers team bus where they say they had a laser pointer ostensibly attached to a pistol pointed at him. We're at a half dozen gun incidents. It's insane. And I, there's no easy solution here. But this is heading down a dark path. And everybody can see it seemingly but Ja. Even his doofus buddy who started the Instagram live. So a hundred people. I mean, they, they, how? let me look. How many people... And we don't even have that many people that watch this thing live. We've got almost 4,000 people watching this right now. That Dante Pack doofus, his IG live had 112 people watching. Right after an IG live literally cost Ja $39 million. That's how much money that his contract would have been bumped by if he made all NBA. He didn't make it. Out $39 million. How much is this next one going to cost him? And that's, again, assuming the best-case scenario. The best-case scenario for Ja at this point is that these two Instagram lives cost him $50 million. 5-0. And that's it. The worst case scenario is that folks don't take too kindly to him throwing up sets and playing with guns, and this ends horribly. Really bad and scary. And color me shocked that 72 hours in an alleged rehab facility in Florida didn't get this all fixed. A man I was lucky enough to call a friend and a true legend passed away Sunday. We'll discuss that and answer your questions next. What's right? All right, welcome back in. We'll get to your questions, and you guys can add some more if there's some good ones in the chat in just a second. Diora will be back Thursday. Uh, she's traveling this morning back from California. But I just want to mention, so Sunday, we're in California at my wife's aunt's house having a nice Mother's Day. We had a really nice surprise 90th birthday for my wife's great-grandmother, my wife's grandmother, pardon me, um, the day before. And I checked Twitter, and I see that Doyle Brunson passed. And I was, <clears throat> I didn't cry, but I almost did. Uh, Doyle Brunson, if you don't know, he's, they call him godfather of poker. One of the greatest poker players of all time. I, for a sports analogy, he would be like Bill Russell. Unbelievable success, unprecedented success in the early era of the World Series of Poker and a, you know, gambler for 70 years. A guy who was drafted to the NBA. 
65 years ago, got hurt, couldn't play, and became a professional gambler, who was a diehard sports fan and sports better, who took a shining to me because of my work on Cowherd's show and the fact that I gave out winning NFL picks, and he and I became friends. And I was lucky enough this December to be in Vegas, and he invited me to his house to watch Chiefs Bengals, 89 years old. And I, I get to his house, and his nurse lets me in. He's an old, old man. And he's got in his office three computer monitors, two TV screens, and all these betting outfits open. And tells me that for the last however many years, such a legend, man, 89 years old, the last however many years, he and a friend every NFL Sunday go down the board and say who they like against the spread in each game. And any game they have disagreements on is an auto $50,000 bet, he and his friend. And he spends every NFL Sunday sweating their five or six disagreements. Just the coolest thing ever. 89. And then his nurse comes in and he's like, oh, I owe you a hundred bucks. And says to me, he's like, I let her pick a game every week and give her a hundred dollar free roll. And he opens his file cabinet or desk drawer, deep, you know, probably this high desk drawer, not like a skinny one, like one, like a file cabinet. And no, I swear to God, there's at least a hundred thousand cash in loose hundreds in this drawer. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, this guy won the World Series of Poker 45 years ago, has 10 bracelets, was a golf hustler, was playing in Texas card houses. His stories are unbelievable. He's almost 90 and he's still just out here doing it. 50 grand a game for NFL games, 100,000 plus in loose cash in his office. Just living the life, man. And then in March, he texts me. Oh, this makes me sad, man. Uh, he texts me. Hi, Nick. March Madness is almost here, and I don't have a clue. If you have the time to message me some pics, I would appreciate it. Uh... And then he writes, better yet, if you come to town, come out to my house and we can sweat them in together. And I wrote back, I have no college basketball insight, but if I do, once the bracket posts, I'll see. I'll send you what I find. Not sure when I'm in Vegas next, but I'll hit you as soon as I know. Uh, and he said, thank you. And that was the last time we talked. And he's 89, lived an unbelievable life, but it's sad. But salute to the legend Doyle Brunson, man. Uh, and I'm really, really grateful and glad that randomly out of nowhere he befriended me and I got to spend an afternoon watching the Chiefs-Bengals game. Last game the Chiefs lost. Uh, all right, some fan questions. Noah Rodriguez Two-part question. Which team deserves to win the draft lottery? And where do you personally want to see Wimby go the most? I think the Magic kind of deserve it, even though they won last year. They have been they have been so un like they were unbelievably lucky getting the number one pick in back to back years. Ended with Shaq and Penny. Then they had terrible lottery luck for a long time. I, I think the Magic deserve it to a degree. I wouldn't. I'd love him to go to Dallas, obviously for Luca. Portland for Dame would be fun. 
Oklahoma City would be fun. Uh, Houston has the history there. I don't want to see San Antonio get him. San Antonio had David Robinson, then tanked a year and got Duncan. Now I've tanked a couple years. I don't want him to go there, and I don't want him to go to Detroit or Charlotte. Really don't want him to go to Charlotte because they're terribly run. Uh, Coach Mystic says, is Doc Rivers in the conversation for worst postseason coach ever? I mean, 32 elimination game losses, three blown 3-1 leads, four more blown 3-2 leads. It's not great, but he does have a title and a Game 7 appearance in the NBA Finals that they could have won, but it's not great. Uh, Josiah Diaz says, is Eric Spolstra submitting himself as top 10 coach of all time uh, since the Heatles, he's always has a competitive team with lesser talent. Celtics fan, I believe he's going to make Missoula look silly. He's certainly on the cusp. I think he's probably already there, and I think he's the biggest matchup edge they have. Uh, the From Troy Duffy says, Great take on LeBron, evidenced by our inability to name who the best player in the world is currently. We expect, because of LeBron, the best player in the world to play in the finals every year. That's exactly right. That's the problem. The problem is, it's not that LeBron set an impossible standard, because Brady did too. But nobody was out there saying, actually, Brady stinks. Nobody was out there saying, actually, Brady's not that good. And so we are able to appreciate it and not hold other people to that standard. Uh Beach Beach says, how do you think the media will look at the Lakers bubble ring if they go on to win it all? Listen, the, the only reason people disrespected what happened in the bubble was it's all revisionist history. It's all because the Lakers won. During the bubble, people were saying this is the highest level of basketball we've ever seen because guys are more rested. There's no travel. There's great sight lines. The games were unbelievable. But because LeBron won the title, people wanted to retroactively take away from it, which maybe I would have listened to if it's like, oh, well, they didn't have to go on the road, but they were the one seed. But the fact that it was Lakers, Nuggets, Heat, Celtics in the Final Four, and this year it's the Final Four again, those arguments are falling even flatter. Oh, Nick, the teams are different. Not the best players. Lakers were LeBron and AD. Nuggets were Jokic. Murray and Michael Porter Jr. The Heat were Jimmy, Bam, and Hero, and the Celtics were Tatum, Brown, and Smart. That's who it was then. That's who it is now. Uh, GG says, is this the most impressive ring for LeBron? No, 2016. Most impressive, most important, and there's no question about it. Uh, 3 o'clock today on FS1, I give out my pick for Game 1, Lakers-Nuggets. I'd love to do it here, but I'm going to save that for the TV show because we're 12-0. Take that, you stupid corgi. Talk to you guys Thursday. What's right?